Well, how we doing, Metro? How we doing? At both of our campuses, I am so excited that you are here. I get it. You know, there are a million different places where you could have invested some of your weekend, and you chose to do this with us. And uh, I think that's great. I think you made the right choice. One of the things that we say around here all the time is this idea that we need to seek God first in our life. No matter who we are, no matter uh, your your struggle with faith or maybe you're brand new to faith or maybe you've been having faith for a long time and really working on that, uh, you need to figure out a way to seek God first because everything that is good in your life will flow from that. Everything. And so I think you made a smart decision, and I am so glad that you're here. Um, my hope is, is that by the time that you walk out of our experiences this weekend, uh, that you will walk out encouraged and challenged uh, to take your next steps with God. You all with me so far? Amen. So uh, many of you were here last week. Anybody here last week? Uh, we sort of left you in a bit of a cliffhanger with this guy right here, didn't we? Yeah, and uh, we, we're, we're, we've been talking about these things called American Idols. Remember this? And we're not talking about the singing show, not at all, not with Simon Cowell. Even though, by the way, he made that show. That show is just not the same without him. He made that show. He really did. And, and he was well rewarded for it, by the way. I don't know if you know this, but he's actually one of the richest celebrities on the planet. Uh, Forbes magazine recently uh, put his net value or net worth at 550 million dollars and adding about a hundred million dollars a year to that net value. Uh, That's not a bad gig for a guy who uh, makes a huge living by basically telling other people that they're pieces of junk, right? Uh, It's not bad. And some of you think he's mean, but I don't necessarily think he's mean. No, Uh, I mean, he can be mean, but, but I sort of love it when he tells people how bad they really are, right? I mean, he just looks at them in the eye and says, you're terrible. You're horrible. You have no hope, right? Uh, and he's really doing it for their benefit. You, you've seen the show, right? Anybody see, you know what I'm talking about? He really is doing it for their benefit. He's trying to tell them uh, that there is no way that they can be a professional singer if they truly cannot sing, right? Um, it, it really is a great show. And some people auditioning on that show really do think that they are the next big thing. They think that they can sing. Me, I know I can't sing, right? But these people literally have somehow fooled themselves into thinking that they are going to be it. And Simon just tells them straight up, you're terrible, you're horrible, and you have no hope, right? Simon is a lot like Jeremiah, the prophet. I mean, he really is. Uh, Does anybody know who I'm talking about? Jeremiah the prophet? Uh, If you're new around here, let me just kind of catch you up a little bit. We're in a series called Old School, and Old School is our journey through the Old Testament part of the Bible. Some of you may not know this, but the Bible is basically divided up into two major sections, the Old Testament and New Testament parts of the Bible. The Old Testament is all the time leading up to the person of Jesus, and essentially the New Testament picks up at the birth of Jesus and everything that comes after. And all of the Bible, the Old and New Testament, it's actually made up of these little books, these series of little books uh, that are kind of packaged t- together, right? And it starts with Genesis, and we have been studying, trying to figure out who God is. And we've been trying to look into the Old Testament, starting at the very beginning, in order to figure out the nature of God and the ongoing story of God and how you and I fit into God's story. And I got to tell you something, I love the Bible. I love the Bible. Uh, It it tells me and it teaches me who God is and it leads me to be who I'm supposed to be. Y'all with me on this? 
It's just so important that we figure this out for ourselves. Anyways, this section of the books of the Old Testament, part of the Bible that we're studying now, is the section called the prophets, the prophets of God. Have you ever heard of a prophet of God? Anybody in the room, a prophet of God? Uh, it's a very odd thing, really. Uh, these were special men, kind of like, like pastors, but, but bigger, but different than that. Literally, the, these, these prophets carried the special message of God. They were special messengers of God. They literally spoke for God. They were God's voice on earth. And Jeremiah, in his day, was one of these guys. And we spent the last few weeks kind of studying about him, and he arrives right in the middle of just some sweeping changes in human history. Um, he, he lands at a time where one empire is giving way to another empire. The Assyrian Empire had literally ruled the earth for a long, long time leading up to the days of Jeremiah. And just beyond Jeremiah, just at the end, near the end of Jeremiah's life, this little rising empire called the Babylonians are coming to town. And Jeremiah not only is in the middle of this sweeping change of history, but God chooses him to have a voice in what is going to happen. And he is warning people time after time after time saying, if you're not careful, if we don't change, if, if we don't get our act together, if we don't start following, loving, and worshiping God, it will not end for us. The Babylonians are going to come and they're going to sweep us away. Now, this is about 600 BC. And Jeremiah uh, says to God's people, you're terrible, you're horrible, and if you don't knock it off, if you don't change, it's not going to end well. You have no hope. Sounds a little bit like Simon, doesn't it? But the stakes are a whole lot higher than a silly singing competition. A whole lot higher. He, he says to God's people, like you and me, he, he, he says, your sin, your idolatry is going to ruin you. And, and friends, what is idolatry? Idolatry is making a God out of anything that is no God at all. Idolatry is this idea that God is supposed to operate in the top spot of your life, that he's supposed to consume the most uh, important pursuit of your life and, and something else has slid into that. It's taking God out of his rightful position and putting something lesser than him in it. That is idolatry. And, and as Americans, we can go, oh, so glad we don't do that. I'm so glad we're like Christian people and we would never bow and worship silly little things that can come and go in our life. We would never, ever, ever, never, ever do that, right? Or do we? Or do we, friends? We, we really do. Um, and, and some in this room, you're going, well, I don't know. I'm not even a Christian. I don't, I don't even know if I believe in God. How can I worship something? Friends, you know this to be true. You worship something. We all do. We worship what we pursue most in our life. What consumes the biggest part of who we are. That is what we, that, that is what we worship. We worship what we give our heart and our soul to. And God is supposed to operate this top spot. And Jesus one time said it like this. He said, seek first the kingdom of God. And everything else that is good is going to flow from that. Put him first and put him most. And everything else will be added to, to, to you. And so, friends, um, this idea of idolatry is alive and well here, among us, even in this room. An idol is what we put on the top spot of our life. And, and friends, almost every single one of us has tried this. We have tried to fill our soul, haven't we, with something that is less than God. 
And we keep coming up empty. We've, we've tried all sorts of things. And, and in America, I think one of the biggest idols like we talked about last week is this. It's the almighty dollar, right? Uh, in God we trust, right? No, we don't trust God. We, we trust this. And here's how we think about money. And we talked a little bit about this last week. We think that if we just get more of it, if I just get enough of it, somehow I will be secure. Somehow I will be complete. Somehow I will be satisfied. But, but friends, you, you know this isn't true, right? It, it just keeps eluding us, this kind of soul satisfaction that money promises. It just keeps moving farther and far, farther away from it. The problem is, is when, when we take a belt and we tie ourselves to this, when we tie our hope to this, where, where, we, where, where we tie our, our joy to this, uh, it becomes a, a, an increasing problem in our life because, because something is always going to disappoint us. These things that we have are always going to disappoint. Listen, friends, I, I hope you get more money. I want more money, amen? But the problem is, is when we tie our soul to it because it never satisfies. The problem with money is that it makes a lousy God, doesn't it? It makes a lousy God. It's a counterfeit God. Anybody remember this? We started talking about counterfeit gods. We, we said that a counterfeit God is usually something good. Y'all remember this? It's usually something good, um, but it's generally unreliable, and it's often devastating, right? We talked about this. This was in Tim Keller's book. We, we, uh, we, 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 we kind of divided up the room, and I want to do that today as well. You guys got to help me out. Y'all going to help me out on my right? You guys are going to learn one word today. You're going to say the word good. Y'all with me? When I point to you, you say the word good. good. Yeah, that's pretty good. Let's try it again. Good. Okay, now you folks in, in the middle, you were completely unreliable last week, but you're going to nail it this week, okay? So folks at both campuses, people in the middle, you're going to say unreliable. unreliable. There you go. When I point to you, say unreliable. unreliable. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. People on the left, normally devastating. Not today, though. It's going to be great. Okay, ready? Here we go. When I point to you, uh, both campuses, help me out. Devastating. devastating. So here we go. Usually, Good. generally, unreliable. and often. And friends, that's this, isn't it? That, that is the heartbeat of money. The problem is, is that things often end up disappointing us. They lose their newness. They, they break, they scratch, they wear down, they dent. And, and at one point, they brought us so much joy, but it just doesn't take long for that thing to lose its luster, to lose that happy-making quotient in our life. And it actually ends up oftentimes devastating us. You with me so far? You all with me? And so 2,600 years ago, God used Jeremiah to tell the people of Israel that they were looking to the wrong things to satisfy their soul, that it would never work, that they would never be complete. And he warned them, not only would they lose their nation, but that they would lose their soul if they're not careful. Now, we're gonna get back to this belt and these things up here in just a few moments, but uh, what I'd like to do this week, if it's okay with you, I want us to dive deep into another message of Jeremiah. And, and this is a message of warning and judgment against the people of God. And I want us to dive deep into that because it's always fun for a guy like me to get up in front of people like you and tell them that they are terrible and horrible and if they don't knock it off, they're gonna be without hope. Friends, no, this is not fun. If I'm honest with you, it's terrifying to get up here and speak the words I'm gonna to speak to you today. But I think that Jeremiah's message to the people of 2,600 years ago 
is just as important for us today as it was then. There is very, very little difference. And so what I'd like for you to do, if you've got a Bible or if you have a smartphone, I'd love for you to read this yourself. We're going to go to Jeremiah chapter 7. Just Google Jeremiah 7 and it will miraculously come right up there for you. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 7. Now you may remember that last week uh, when we started to talk about Jeremiah, God speaks to Jeremiah. Prophet's job is to hear from God, Right? It's to hear from God. So God speaks to the prophet Jeremiah and tells him to go shopping for a, anybody remember? A belt. Go shopping for a belt. This is Jeremiah 13. Well, now in Jeremiah chapter seven, God speaks again to Jeremiah, but this time he tells Jeremiah to go to church. And we think, woo, that's where he should be going. He's a pastor. He's a prophet. That's what they do. Friends, this isn't a normal trip. To church. Not at all. Jeremiah actually goes to church. He, he walks into church and he starts telling people, uh, it's really great that you're in church. It's really great that you're here to worship God in this place we call the temple, but you treat people horribly all week long. You, you're terrible and you're hypocritical and you're horrible. You're spiritual adulterers. He, he says, you allow poor people and immigrants and orphans and widows to, be, to, to suffer among you, to be treated terrible. You let evildoers win while innocent people suffer. There is no righteousness. There is no concern about the holiness of God in the land. And Jeremiah just lets this all fly right out. And he says, you remember the covenant that you're supposed to keep with God? Remember us talking about the covenant? This marriage sort of relationship? He says, you're just letting the covenant with God go to pieces. Uh, you're supposed to be God's bride. You're, you're supposed to be God's people. And you're not living like it. And he does this in church, friends. Now, that would be like me coming to church here and going, oh, it's real nice that you're in church. I'm the pastor. I'm coming in, looking good. And I pick you out and I start going, you're terrible. You're horrible. And if you don't knock it off, you're going to lose all hope. It's not going to end well. How do you think this would go over? If I just start walking around and talking to people like that? It doesn't. It probably goes about as good for Jeremiah too, doesn't it? And this is what he does. He comes into the church and he begins to warn them because the people of God were treating their trip to church like it was some sort of good luck charm. Like if we simply go to church and we sing a few songs and we raise our hand and some of y'all do the little wiggle thing and, and you might give a little bit. Listen, you think somehow that you are made right with God. But the rest of the week, you have very little concern for him. Who he is, who his character is, and what his nature is like, and who you're supposed to be in order to honor him. And Jeremiah comes along, and he, he says, you think you're untouchable? Even as the great Babylon rises in the north and casts this formidable shadow over Jerusalem. Remember we talked about this a couple weeks ago that the northern kingdom of Israel had already fallen about 125 years ago. Do you remember this? And why did they fall? Because they denied God's role in their life. And it was a judgment of God. And, and, and Jeremiah comes along and says, you think you're any different? You think you're special because you still go to church? You think because you somehow come through the gates and you raise your hands and you somehow think you worship God with your, with your mouth, but your heart 
is far, far from me. You think you're made right? And so here's what Jeremiah says, and this is going to be really fun. Ready for this? This is what he says. Jeremiah chapter 7, starting in verse 2. Hear the word of the Lord. All you people of Judah who come through these gates to worship the Lord. Now, uh, in their temple in Jerusalem, there was this great set of steps. And at the top of the sets, there, steps, there was this giant gate that all the people kind of had to funnel through. And, and it was your way of saying, or their way of saying, we're in church now. You're in a special spot now. It's powerful. It's big. It's holy. It's different. And they would walk in through these gates. And here's what it says. Hear the word of the Lord, all you people who come through these gates to what? To worship Come on, the Lord, right? He says, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Reform your ways and your actions and I will let you live in this place. In other words, if you somehow figure out how to turn back toward me, I am going to allow you to stay in this land. I'm gonna give you one more chance. Then he says this. Do not trust in deceptive words and say, this is the temple of the Lord. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. In other words, we're in church. Everything is fine in church. As long as we go to church, everything is fine. As long as we show up here at least once a month, we are good to go. He says, don't you dare trust in that. If you really change your ways and your actions and deal with each other justly, if you do not oppress the foreigner, the fatherless, the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not follow what? other gods to your own harm, then I will let you live in this place, in the land that I gave your ancestors forever and ever. But look, you are trusting in deceptive words that are worthless. The the real issue here was that they were preoccupied with temple rituals while giving little to no concern to the real demands of a real relationship with God. They did not love people. The vulnerable, the the hurting, the immigrant, the, the, uh, the orphan, the widow, the suffering among them. They were not concerned with the holiness of God or the righteousness of God. They were consumed with their own sin and their own desires. As long as they got what they wanted out of life, they thought that they were fine. They were wrapped up in this thing called idolatry. They were giving God their external worship, but their internal soul was far from him. You hear me, friends? Somebody needs to say, "Woo!" They were giving God their external worship. But their internal souls were far from him. There was something broken, friends. And God literally comes along and says, I'm not happy about this. I'm thinking, no kidding, right? And poor Jeremiah is called upon to be the voice box of God. And and at this point, you're you're probably thinking, woo, the people of Israel need prayer, right? Right? Come on. Uh, But God says to Jeremiah, listen to this, in verse 16, this is startling. And this should be a warning to me and to you. So do not pray for this people. Well, I thought we were supposed to pray for people. So do not pray for people. No, 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 I was taught, you can always pray for people. Jeremiah is told by God. So do not pray for this people, nor offer any plea or petition for them. Do not plead with me, for I will not And God says, I have been warning you for hundreds of years. And God says to you and to me, I have been talking to you for a long time. And eventually my voice is going to go silent. And God is literally saying, it is too late. There is a judgment 
coming. They're lost. These people are, they, they, have, they have decided that fake church is okay. They have decided to play church, to play religion, and they think that they are all right before me if they do this. And God says they're not. Friends, listen, friends, that would be like me saying because I have a membership to a gym that I'm ripped. It takes a little bit more than having a membership card to make you ripped. That's like saying, you know, because you, you got married, you know, 20 years ago and put a ring on her finger that it's all good at home, right? It's because you walked her down the aisle 20 years ago and said, I love you. It's like, it's still perfect love and kisses all the time at home 20 years later. Is that true? No, it's not true. It takes something more than what I did 25. By the way, I just celebrated my 29th anniversary on Friday. I think it was Friday last week. Yeah. And it takes something more than what I did 29 years ago to make that work. And because you come to church, he says, it doesn't make anybody right with God. Let me tell you something, friends. Coming to church is really important. I've invested my whole life in creating a church that you would love to come to. It is super important to our soul. I think it's actually critical to your soul. I think it's about impossible to walk closely with God without walking closely with his church. I think it's about impossible. But because you come here, it does not make you right with God. It takes something more than that. And Jeremiah, he turns it up on them. And he, now remember, he's in church and he's going around talking to the people. And this is what he says. He begins to mock them. Listen to this. This is unbelievable. He says, do you not see what you're doing in the towns of Judah? He's talking to God speaking to Jeremiah. Now Jeremiah is speaking to people. He goes, don't, don't you see what's going on in the towns of Jumiah, in Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem? Like he's saying on the people level where people live, this is what's going on. The children gather wood. And we go, oh, that's so nice. And the fathers light the fire. Oh, they're such good dads. They're probably making marshmallows. And, and the women knead the dough and make their cakes. And here's what they do with these. They offer them to the queen of heaven. You hear what's going on here? And they pour out drink offerings to other gods to arouse my anger, says the Lord. This, this description makes you think that like it's all good and family oriented and it, this is all chipper. But what he's saying is he's saying this is becoming so common. Your, your worship of idols is trickling down, not just on a national level where you're out there doing terrible things, but it's on a familial level that it's in your home that you're actually offering to these pagan gods. The, the, one of the gods of Baal was a female god and they called her the queen of heaven. And God says, no, 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 I'm the father creator God. And you're making a mockery of me. And this had gotten so bad that the people of Judah, the people of Israel, had become so corrupt that it left no room other than the judgment of God. The people were actually offering their children in sacrifice to the God of Moloch. And he's going, what is wrong with you? And he says, there's no time left. It's time to hand you over to their destruction, or to, to destruction. And, and Jeremiah ends this uh, famous and wildly unpopular sermon like this. Now he's standing in front of the church and he says, judgment's coming. Judgment's coming. Look at, look at this. This is how crazy things have gotten. Listen to this. This is, this is crazy. He, he, he's going to speak of this valley just outside of the city of Jerusalem. And it's called the Valley of Ben-Hinnom. 
Ben Hinnom. It means the family of Hinnom owns this valley. It's like a valley there, but it's like almost like a town unto itself. It's a big area, okay? And, and in this valley, they built high places of worship. And one of the high places of worship, these were worship to foreign gods or to, to, to uh, idols, right? And one of the high places of worship was this place called Topeth. And, and the people of God and the people of Israel actually burned their children at the place of Topeth. This is where they burned them. And listen to what Jeremiah says to them. He says, because this is so wicked and so evil that it's trickled down all the way into your soul, trouble is coming for you. And listen to what he says. And they have built high places, verse 31, and they have built high places of Topeth, which is in the valley of Sun Hinnom, to burn their sons and their daughters in the fire, which I did not command, nor did I even come to my mind that you would do this, right? Therefore, verse 32, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when it will no more be called Topeth or the valley of the Son of Hinnom, but it will be called the valley of, what is this word? slaughter for they will bury in Topeth because there is no room elsewhere. In other words, it's going to become a giant graveyard in the dead bodies of this people. In other words, you people sitting in this room, you are going to all die. And there's going to be so many of you who are going to be slaughtered that you're going to be buried in, in, the, in this valley that used to be called the Valley of Hinnom. And they're going to call it the Valley of the Slaughter now. And the dead bodies of this people will be food for the birds of the air and for the beasts of the earth and none will be able to frighten them away. And I'm not sure if you're picking up what Jeremiah is laying down right here, but he's warning them. He's saying there is this enemy coming and they're called the Babylonians and God is gonna use them to judge your sin and they're gonna slaughter you. And it is gonna be so bad that the very place that you used to slaughter your own children will be renamed the Valley of Slaughter because God is gonna snuff out your life. He's gonna take from you what you hold so precious because you have turned to other gods. And with that, Jeremiah ends his sermon. Church dismissed. Have a nice lunch. Good luck. Oh, Pastor Jay, bro, man. That's some harsh stuff. Good thing that's not us. Really? That's not us. At the uh, risk of offending just about everybody in this room, I uh, would like to talk about a couple other American idols because money is not the only thing that we learn to trust, right? It's not the only thing we look to put our soul satisfaction in. Uh, money is not the only American idol. And I get it. There are people in this room and you go, honestly, Pastor Jay, I'm not really a materialistic person. I just don't care about money. So if that's you, that's, if that's true, I'm just going to talk to the three of you, okay? If that's you. Seriously, people say, they go, no, no, no. Money means absolutely nothing to me. Stuff means nothing to me. People mean everything to me. Everything? Herein lies the problem, right? People mean everything. And really, this is the next American idol, right? Uh, and this could be your, 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 your husband, your wife, a friend, maybe your children, um, maybe your grandchildren, maybe your grandparents. I mean, it's anybody 
who you somehow elevate to this godlike status and you begin to kind of put joy and your hope and your trust and, and all things eternal into them. They say, this is my completeness. And here's the problem with people, and I think you probably already know this, is that something that is usually what? Good. Come on, usually what? Good. Good becomes generally, and often they can become devastating, right? Uh, remember, anybody in the room remember when you first had kids? I mean, it was like your world got rocked. I mean, if you've had kids, you, you get this. It's like, wow, you just can't get enough of them. They become your life. They become your world. I remember uh, trying to just rush home uh, from work, and, and, and I would just pick them up, and I'd just stare at them like, I mean, I can't believe this. This is mine. This is, this is incredible. And you just felt so much joy and so much completeness to, from them, right? Um, but money is not the only thing that disappoints in life, right? Uh, one time, true story, we were in Denver, Colorado, and uh, my son Zachary was 16, my daughter was about 14, and my little guys were, you know, a little bit younger, and uh, we're, we're, we're driving around, and my son, he, he's a new driver, and he's like, Dad, let me drive, let me drive. And, and let me tell you something. If you've ever driven in the mountains of Colorado, you're just simply not going to let your 16-year-old drive you. Amen? Glory to God. Amen? And, and so we were in the city, and it was so packed. It was so busy. And I thought, and he just kept begging, let me drive, let me drive. I need practice. I need to drive. And, and finally, I said, okay, you know, listen, it's got to be better than driving in the mountains. We'll let you drive after dinner. And so we went to this place called Casa Bonita for dinner. Anybody? Yeah, you don't go there for the food. i can just tell you that right now. You go there for the ambiance. They have these cliff divers that jump like 60 feet off of these cliffs into these pools of water, and they got people breathing fire and Marinacci bands going around. It's Casa Bonita, right? And they give you these amazing uh, dessert, like they're like fried donut things dipped in sugar and honey and their glory to God. I mean, they're amazing. And what's so cool is that they're all you can eat. And so I'm like, kids, fill up. Boom, go. All you can eat. Go, go, go. So we go after dinner and Zachary, uh, you know, wants to drive. And so we say yes. And he takes a left, pulls out into traffic and uh, there are two left turn lanes. And so he finds himself in the middle of bumper to bumper traffic and, uh, and he's in a lane and he's stopped and everything is, is fine. Did I mention that our kids were having a drinking contest after consuming large amounts of these donut thingamajiggers? They, they, they were literally like in the back chugging pop and water. And it was vacation, people. We were just letting them go crazy, okay? And, and so they're having this drinking uh, contest in, in the back. And, and uh, uh, so, so Maddie and, and uh, Lincoln and Isaac, they're in the back. They're having so much fun. And they're chugging gallons of water. And uh, we're at this light waiting for it to turn green. And then suddenly my lovely, perfect princess uh, starts to make these noises uh, from deep within, if you know what I mean. And all of a sudden, she starts to literally projectile vomit forward. Did I mention to you that my son was just 16 and, and driving in very crowded conditions? And, and so my son, who is waiting at this light, he hears this and begins to feel weird things on him. And so he turns around and he's going, what's going on? Did I mention that he was 16? <laughs> and somehow in this confusion, he takes his foot off the brake and he slams on the gas 
And we had about five feet between us and the car in front of us. And we hit that thing full throttle. Boom! People can disappoint. Right? People can really disappoint. And a whole bunch of us have invested so much in our kids. And we have built a life up around them and we have put so much into them. And friends, the truth is, is that one day they're gonna become teenagers (laughs) and it can go from bad to worse. Listen, I thank God for my kids. But some of you, the kids that you banked so much on and that you hoped with such high hopes for, for great things out of their life. They have put your family through the ringer because of one bad decision after another. And it's not just things that disappoint. It's people that disappoint. Am I right? Um, Some of you got married and you thought he was perfect and you thought it was all glorious and it was just going to be awesome and you were so in love and they could do nothing wrong and you would do anything for them. But what if one day, what if one day you come home and you find out that he isn't what you thought he was? That he was different than who he pretended to be. Some of you have ran into this, haven't you? And he found somebody else to love more than you, if you know what I mean. Because what is usually good is generally and sometimes, oftentimes, it can, become, it can become devastating. Friends, finding our hope and our significance, our value in our children or other people, it is a recipe for disaster. Because listen, let me tell you something, friends. Carrying our own failures through life is heavy enough. Right? It's hard enough. But carrying somebody else's failures through life is a burden we can't bear. And carrying their failures and carrying their successes and tying ourselves to them, tying our hopes to them, tying our dreams to them, tying everything to them. Because what if one day that that perfect husband that you have tied yourself to, what if he has untied himself to you? And you said he was your life, but now he's shutting you out of your life. Is your life over? Is your life done? Does God have nothing left for you? Friends, we just got to be careful with this. Let let me tell you about another idol that we have. Um, This is a big deal in our world. You're going to love this. You're going to love this. You want to love this right here? You know what that is? Woo! That's an Apple iPhone, right? But, but, but that is not even a phone. You do realize that, right? That is not a phone. Let me tell you something. This, this is a phone. You know what I'm saying? Anybody remember this? This thing was a cord. You know what I'm saying? This is a phone. You know what this thing does? This thing, this, you know what this phone does? It phones people. That's all it does. This thing over here, oh my goodness, this thing, this thing is your life. 
This thing is your navigator. This thing is your secretary. This thing keeps your calendar. This thing gives you your cooking recipes. This thing is your stockbroker. This thing does everything for you, right? And here's what it does for a whole bunch of us. Listen to me. More than doing things for us, it fills a spot in our hearts. It's our status. It's our status. Who we are is often linked to this. And here's what I mean. You've heard of social media, right? You know what social media really is? It's your place in this world. It's your status in this world, right? I mean, maybe it's just me, but like, you know, you, you and, and things can go a little crazy because what is meant to be generally good is often, or usually, and often, because I posted stuff on Facebook have, having the best of intentions, thinking this is going to be great. It's going to bring people together. This is going to be awesome. This is going to be so helpful to people, only to end up in a Facebook fight, right? And we end up with protesters at our church. It's crazy, right? Right? Or you're kind of scrolling through Instagram and you're looking at other people live life and your life that was so good before is now not looking so good because comparison sets in and when comparison sets in, your joy leaves. Happiness ends, right? And now you're feeling like, what is wrong with me? I mean, you put up your little post out there and you go, man, nobody's liking it. I mean, my last post, I got like 130 likes in like about an hour and this one's been up for three hours and I only got 25 likes and something must be wrong. It must not be cool enough. It must not be hip enough. And really, it's another way of saying I must not be cool enough. I must not be hip enough. I must not be relevant enough. And we let this determine who we are in this world. And here's the problem, friends. Um, when we start to make an idol out of what other people think, it makes a lousy God, doesn't it? Come on, doesn't it? And when we tie ourselves to what other people think, what you're going to have is what started off as you know something really good, like a friend or a group of friends, or even a spouse or child. What started off as usually good has generally become unreliable, and oftentimes it's... And we end up feeling that our value and our worth comes from what the world thinks of us. And friends, that's a disaster. That is a disaster. Because you me will never be good enough for this world. We'll never be smart enough, pretty enough, rich enough, whatever enough for this world. So Jeremiah ends his message in church by talking about this idea that you are following false gods who are not God at all. And it is going to cost you dearly. Now, I want you to follow me on something. This is so important because this idea of the Valley of Hinnom, this place of destruction, this place of slaughter for those who go after false idols is dragged from Jeremiah. Listen, from Jeremiah by Jesus 
into the New Testament. Jesus' concept of the place of destruction comes directly from this little passage. Listen to this. The Valley of Hinnom was translated into Aramaic like this, the Valley of Hinnom. It's the Aramaic expression for this. Then when the early Greek languages came around, when the scripture was translated into the early Greek, it became Gi Hinnom. Gi Hinnom. And that was the early Greek. Later, it became Gehenna for the later Greek. Now, some of you who have been around the Bible, you know that, the, that this is the New Testament word where we get our word hell from in English. Gehenna is translated in hell and it directly comes from Jeremiah's teaching. In the Jewish mind, Gehenna was this place of slaughter. It was this place of eternal punishment for the wicked. It is actually the primary metaphor that Jesus used to talk about the final judgment. His understanding would be shaped largely by this understanding that this was a place where, the, where people who were far from the heart of God but faked it with their lips would go and offer their children and they would give up the very most important thing to them for a false God. And Jesus grabs this and says, this is Gehenna and it is reserved for people who make an idol out of something other than God himself who take Jesus, who is supposed to be that center point in your life that is supposed to anchor you to God the Father and you move him out of the way and you put something else in it. Friends, um, we, we can't be that people. And it is easy to become that people. It will never go well for us if we take Jesus out of the middle and move him aside. Let's pray. God, um, Father in heaven, um, I confess um, that this happens far too often in my own life. And it's easier than, it would I, than I would like it to be. And God, I confess that our church does this. But God, we should not be this people. Uh, like Jeremiah, you, Jesus, you called us to repent. And uh, I, I know people hate to go to church and hear this kind of thing. But you um, demand that you are first and most in our life. And so God, I pray that the people in this environment today um, pray for me and my family that we would bend our hearts to you. God, that we would realize what it is in our life that's taking us away from you. And we just scratch the surface with these things. It could be a million different things. I don't, you don't need me, a pastor, to tell you what is separating you from God. 
God's already told you. You know what the blackness of your own soul is. Can I encourage you to repent, to turn to God, to, to tell him how deeply sorry and wrong you have been for moving him aside? Ask him to come and fill your soul, to come back to the center spot of your life, to occupy the top position. It could be pride. It could be an addiction, pornography, alcohol, anger. I don't know, power, authority, money, your status. It could be your children. I don't know. You know. Father in heaven, hear our cry. Hear our cry. We do not want to be a people who seek another God. Forgive us. Forgive us. If you want to pray with somebody before we get out of here, talk to somebody up to my left, to your right, we would love to do that. I want you to go in the grace of God. I want you to know the goodness of God. He loves you. And there is still time to turn to him. Thank you, Jesus, for your grace and your mercy over us. Some of us in this room feel that we are too far from you. Um, We're under a new covenant. We're under a new relationship where you say it is never too late because of the grace of your son, Jesus. And all of God's people say, Amen. Amen.